Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wool. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 2-0. Swinging a chopping ground ball toward the hole. Sliding stop. No, Stott can't get it on the outfield grass with his sliding attempt. Hernandez will score. It's a base hit for Manessis. An RBI single makes it 4-1. Stopping at second is Vargas. Stott went into a slide on the outfield grass, and the ball may have hit his glove, but went under his glove. And Manessis with a clutch hit for the Nationals. Check of the runner at first. Schwarber the pitch. Swung on. Belt to deep right. This is way back. Manessis can only watch. It is gone. Goodbye. An opposite field three-run home run for Reese Hoskins. This game is all tied. The Nationals four, the Phillies four, with nobody out at the bottom of the fifth inning. The 2-1. Swing a high, high fly ball right field, sending Manessis back to the warning track near the wall, feeling for the wall, and there it goes. It just clears, two rows in over the out-of-town scoreboard and right. An opposite field two-run homer for Alec Bohm gives the Phillies a 7-5 lead. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, September 12, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman was at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It is never ideal when a rain delay within a baseball game lasts longer than the actual game, and yet that's Exactly what we had with Game 3 for the Nats at the Phillies on Sunday. Time of game, 3 hours, 29 minutes. Time of rain delay, 3 hours, 36 minutes. Result of game, a 7-5 Nats loss. So the Nats end up getting swept in three games at the Phillies. Nats end up concluding a 4-6 and six road trip that did get off to a promising start. But uh, there wasn't much promising about this game situation for Sunday. The forecast was ominous. The forecast ended up living up to what we expected. I know there were a lot of thoughts that maybe the game would slash should be postponed, but that was not the case. And so people like Mark had the good fortune of sitting through a three-hour, 36-minute rain delay on Sunday afternoon. How was your Sunday, Mark? I got to watch a lot of football, Al. So that was, you know, I guess all right. I wasn't trying to... uh watch baseball and keep an eye on football out of the corner of my eye. So, But then at the end of all that, there was still a ball game to cover, and it was a long game and a slow game and a kind of typical Nats-Phillies game, which is to say that you know they scored some runs that did all right, but they just have not been able to contain this Phillies lineup, certainly not in this ballpark 
Whereas we've talked about, you just get the ball in the air here, even on a cold, rainy day, and it's going to travel and it burned them again. The two home runs accounted for five of the Phillies' seven runs. Nationals did not homer. They put together some rallies. That's good. But you want to score runs in bunches and beat a team like the Phillies? You better hit home runs, and the Nats don't do that, as we've seen. No, the Nats continue to pile up their singles, though. If you like singles... You enjoy the Nats in 2022. Nats out hit the Phillies in this game 11-10, but uh, like you said, did not homer in this game. Got out homered 2-0. Real quick, though, with the rain, do the Nats have any sort of a say in a situation like this on the road, whether the game gets played on Sunday or made up on Monday, or is that just purely up to MLB and the home team, in this case, the Phillies? My understanding, this really was just MLB entirely, not even the Phillies wishes. And I also think that the Nats preference was if they thought they could play this game on Sunday, they wanted it played on Sunday. You know, this is the end of a long road trip, day 10, three cities. They have an off day on Monday. They didn't want to have to stay over and lose that off day, which they've all certainly earned at this point. So I think the feeling was as long as there was reason to believe they get the game in before the end of the day, as miserable as it was, they would rather wait it all out and leave town at you know 9 p.m. to head back to D.C. and at least have your off day, then head back, have to recheck into a hotel, and then come back to the ballpark for you know another game on uh, Monday. Yeah, and I do get that from the Nats' perspective. I mean, I think you'd rather get that extra off day. The Nats haven't had a scheduled off day in forever, and so to have one on Monday, I think the Nats have been looking forward to that, and the Nats will actually have two off days over the next four days here Now, so yeah, I mean, this ends up being a lackluster end to this road trip. Like we said, the Nats did hit in this game, did hit for the most part on the road trip, but uh, ultimately end up getting swept here at the Phillies. You know, we'll never know what would have happened with Anibal Sanchez in this game, but man, he was not off to a promising start. Now, we know how it can go with him. He can get off to a rough start and then settle down and end up being quite good. But Sanchez, who had been good lately, was not good in the initial portion of this game, the pre-rain delay portion of this game. He ended up only pitching for two innings. He allowed one run in the two innings and then did not return to the game after the rain delay. But he, over his two innings, gave up a double and a single. He issued three walks. He threw 46 pitches, 24 strikes versus 22 balls. Like I said, maybe he would have settled down and been better. But I tell you, those first two innings looked a lot like the Anibal Sanchez who we saw initially this season, as opposed to the Anibal Sanchez who we had been seeing over his recent outings. Yeah, and it felt like this was not going to be a great matchup all along. All credit to him, what he had done his last four starts was fantastic. But against this team in this ballpark, it felt like he was maybe due for one of these types of games. That's the direction it was heading. Now, it wasn't burned so much by the hits. It was the walks, three of them, in two innings. And, you know, there was a RBI double by Harper to account for the lone run. But the walks drove his pitch count up. He was still at 46 pitches after two innings. That's really not where you want to be and not where he has been here lately. He's been much more efficient than that. So, you know, a pitch to contact guy in a small ballpark against a good lineup that works at bats well, it just felt like a bad matchup. And that's exactly what happened. So my hunch is even if not for the rain, if he had been able to continue, he might've been fortunate to get through five innings on this day under these circumstances. Nats bullpen did not end up having a very good series. We did get a terrific outing from Erasmo Ramirez in game one on Friday night, but the bullpen had problems in game two on Saturday evening. And then five Nats relievers on Sunday combined to allow six runs in six innings. Jordan Weems 
did toss a perfect bottom of the third with two strikeouts. But the aforementioned Erasmo Ramirez off a scoreless bottom of the fourth in this game. Bottom of the fifth, he gives up three runs, allows all four batters he faces in the inning to reach base, including giving up a three-run homer to Reese Hoskins on an 0-2 pitch to tie the game at four. Hunter Harvey allowed one run in two innings. Kyle Finnegan had some problems again. Bottom of the seventh, gave up two runs, gave up a two-run homer to Alec Bohm for a 7-5 Phillies lead. And then who else gets summoned to pitch in a game such as this one on Sunday? Our guy Paolo Espino tossing a scoreless bottom of the eighth inning. Is it concerning what we're seeing with Finnegan here? He has not looked great lately. He hasn't. You know, I'm having a hard time trying to decide how much to read into today's game with all these guys or not because unusual circumstances. It is the end of a long trip late in the season. You're now asking your bullpen to give you seven innings in this game in theory if you're going to win it. And now Finnegan, you know, hadn't pitched in a few days, but I don't know. I felt like in some ways it's not totally fair to judge all these guys based on this one. And to be honest, what did he give up? An infield single and a home run to Alec Bohm that was kind of a Philly special home run. 362 feet opposite field, lands in the second row. I mean, it wasn't like it was a pop-up or anything like that, but it also wasn't some kind of towering blast off him. And then he was fine otherwise. I thought it was interesting, though, that he was pitching the seventh inning again, and it was the four, five, six hitters, so not the, necessarily the heart of the Phillies lineup. I think their one, two, three guys were a little better. So you could have held on to him for later in the game. So he's in a little bit of a rut here. Remember late last season, as he's kind of wore down in September, and his final numbers did not look so good in the end, despite the fact that he had pitched well for the most part. And I worry that we're headed in that direction Again, his ERA, which was in the twos just like a week ago, is now at 397. So that's not great. Let's see. I think for him and for the team, I think there's some importance to him bouncing back and finishing strong this year because if that's two years in a row that he fades in September, that's not a great sign in terms of the future if you're worried this is a guy that doesn't hold up through the rigors of an entire season. Yeah, and it's not like his workload this season in terms of innings has been sky high. He's not even at 60 innings yet on the season, 56 and two-thirds innings for the year. Now, he has pitched in a number of high-leverage, high-stress predicaments. That is true. So, you know, not all innings are created equal. But, you know, this isn't like, say, Erasmo Ramirez, who has thrown 75 and a third innings, like appreciably more than what Finnegan has thrown. You know, he has given up eight home runs now this year in his 56 and two-thirds innings. For comparison's sake, Yohan Adone at the major league level this season, eight home runs allowed in 64 and two-thirds innings. I mean, Finnegan has had more of a home run issue than, say, like Yohan Adone had as a starter during his time here, just to put that into perspective. But like you said, this was a weirdo situation. This was a bizarro game. There were like, what, 18 people in the stands by the time the game resumed? I mean, that that was a pretty depressing sight, but you understood it. I mean, the weather in Philadelphia was awful for this game, and it's actually kind of a minor miracle that the game ended up being completed. I thought maybe you'd get a, a rain-shortened game. You didn't get that. You ended up getting an actual true nine-inning affair here on Sunday. Hey, guys. It's Al Galdi for Window Nation. We are into September, a time for pennant races in baseball, and Window Nation is offering pennant race-worthy savings. New windows from Window Nation at half the price. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Lower your energy bills, raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation 
that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. You know, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you're wasting on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. And the average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation windows are great. And Window Nation windows are installed right the first time. Take advantage of this terrific deal. Buy two windows, get two windows free. This goes for any style of new window from Window Nation and pay nothing until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing it a ground ball towards short. Diving stop Abrams. Up to his feet. Holds the runners. Throws the first to Voight for the out. Another spectacular play by C.J. Abrams in this series. In terms of the Nats position players, so a few things stand out. We mentioned the Nats having 11 hits, a bunch more singles in this game. I do want to highlight a few things. First of all, it's becoming an every game occurrence, and this is a good thing, but the C.J. Abrams defensive play of the game, you know, I feel like you can make that a part of your post-game sponsorship package. You know, the C.J. Abrams defensive play of the game, because you know he's going to have at least one now, game in, game out, and sure enough, he had another one. In addition, by the way, to having two more hits, he is starting to hit. He's not hitting for power, but he is starting to pile up the singles here. He went two for four with two singles, including a bunt single in this game. But bottom of the fifth, runners on second and third, one out. The game tied at four. So, you know, in theory, in the vacuum of this game, a big spot in the game. He's playing near the infield grass. He makes a diving catch of a grounder off the bat of Bryson Stott and then throws to first for the second out of the inning. This was a tremendous quick reflex kind of play. He makes the throw with authority, and he stood up so quickly and made the throw. Again, it was like the precision of the movement, the suddenness of the movement, and there's like a confidence with him. You can tell when he's doing these things, he knows he can make these plays, and sure enough, he is making them game in, game out, and seeing him make that diving catch on the infield dirt slash slop at the sit on this rainy Sunday, I mean, just another gold star play for C.J. Abrams at shortstop. So I was going to say my favorite part of the whole play, and there's a lot to like about it. It's the fact that after making the great diving catch, he hops to his feet and he knows, hey, I got this. I can take a second 
to set myself and just make a good strong throw to first. There was nothing rushed about it. He was in complete control of the entire situation. I think that is so telling about the skills he has. And like we said, the awareness, the baseball instincts, all that stuff. He is definitely playing with confidence out there. And that's a great thing to see from a 21-year-old. So that I don't, I don't even want to rank these plays that he made over the course of the weekend because they were all spectacular in their own right. But you're right. It is happening every single game now. And that's a really nice thing to see. Yeah, because it would be one thing if it was once in a blue moon and you'd say, well, he does this every now and then. But when it's every game, it's like you expect to see standout defense from this guy game in, game out. Another thing that's kind of sort of becoming an every game occurrence right now is Lane Thomas having multiple hits. Lane Thomas had at least two hits in each of the three games in this series. He was an ad starting center fielder and leadoff batter in all three games. We did not see Victor Robles start a game in this series in terms of being the Nats center fielder. And the lane train was rolling in this series. So he, in this game on Sunday, went two for five with a double and a single. He, in the game on Saturday evening, went three for five with two RBI singles and another single. And he, in the game on Friday night, went two for four with an RBI triple and a single. And he's doing some good things at the plate in terms of, you know, in two strike counts, coming through with a hit, going the opposite way, you know, igniting innings. We saw him in the top of the first in this game have a leadoff full count double toward the left field corner. There's a lot to like right now with Lane Thomas offensively. Yeah, he's doing a lot of the things that we saw him do late last season. So that's great. Now, are we going to get duped into thinking this is who he is now? I don't know. That would be the fear of it. But hey, the longer he keeps it up, the better. He has clearly taken over as the everyday center fielder and as the leadoff hitter. And my hunch is that barring some kind of huge collapse from him, he will continue to do both things for the rest of the season. Now, Victor Robles, remember, was dealing with a stiff neck the other day. I don't know if that's still bothering him, but we haven't even seen him come off the bench, although they weren't in a position to make a late defensive change in this series, which would be the one thing you would expect maybe they would do if he was healthy. So don't know exactly where he's at. But in the meantime, Lane Thomas has definitely stepped up. And I love the hustle on the foul ball that rolled back fair. You hardly ever see this where the ball was legitimately, what, five feet foul and hit the lip of the grass and came back into fair territory. And he's hustling down the line, runs over the uh, first baseman trying to make the play and, and is safe at first. And if I could share a story real quick, in Little League, this happened to me as a hitter. And I just stood there. I didn't run because I didn't know that that could be a fair ball. I thought, oh, well, once it hits in foul territory, that's it. And it rolled back. It had crazy spin on it. came back fair. Coaches are yelling at me. They tagged me out, threw me out. And I said, what? It's a foul ball. I said, no, no, no. That's a fair ball. I said, no, it can't be a fair ball. That doesn't work. I said, no, until it gets to first base, it can be a fair ball. And so I've never forgotten that since. And so I always am looking for the batter to hustle out of the box until they are 100% sure that it's going to finish foul. That's funny. You know, watching that play, though, maybe this is just me. It feels like that should be a foul ball. That doesn't seem to me like that should be a fair ball. It doesn't look fair. You know, like when I watched the replay of that, I was like, that really doesn't look like a fair ball. That looks like a foul ball. That was a strange play, though, because the ball went foul and then spun back fair and it went foul by it felt like two, three, four feet, whatever it was. I don't know what kind of English Lane Thomas put on that ball. I guess maybe it was a function of the wet ground, but whatever the case, that was a strange bounce of a ball. It's hard to remember seeing something like that. Yeah, but you know, I get what you're saying about that feels like it should be a foul ball, but think about like a a weird like little pop-up that lands in the grass and then kicks and ends up foul before anybody touches it. 
that's a foul ball. That doesn't count as a fair ball. So sometimes, you know, these things happen, but you got to be aware of it and be heads up. And he did that. So props to him for beating it out and ending up with a two hit game. Well, Lane Thomas has been productive. Ildemaro Vargas continues to be productive. He on Sunday went two for four with a double and an RBI single. Remember, he in the game on Saturday evening was productive offensively. Two for four, RBI double and a single. And he in the game on Friday night had a pinch two-out single to knock Brad Hand, the ex-net, out of the game in the top of the ninth inning. But what was especially notable, I thought, with Ildemaro Vargas on Sunday is he was the Nats' starting second baseman. Whereas Cesar Hernandez was the Nats starting third baseman. Luis Garcia did not play for a second consecutive game. And Davey Martinez says that Luis is dealing with a sore right side. So I guess Luis not playing on Saturday was not just due to a normal rest. At least that's what we are left to think. No, no. All right. If we're to believe them, he was supposed to have Saturday off as a rest day. He was hitting in the cage in the afternoon, and after that was over, he told them that his side was sore, and so they decided to give him Sunday off as well. So it seemed odd that he would get a day off then. Davey gave his explanation, and then it was very odd when he was out of the lineup for the second straight day. So sure enough, there was something going on, at least for the Sunday game. There was definitely something physically going on. All right. Well, we have been conditioned to not exactly just accept as gospel everything that this team says about player injuries. So think what you want about that. But the point here is this. Cesar Hernandez, who on Saturday evening had a woeful defensive game at second base, the next day here is made to play third base. And Ildemaro Vargas, who has been playing a lot of third base, is playing second base. And it's hard to just dismiss that as a coincidence. I agree. Davey said that he wanted to shake it up. He knows that you know Vargas can play every position. He knows that Cesar has played third base well. But I think in this case, you have to look at what happened the previous night and say it's probably not a coincidence that that move was made then. Because what's funny, it's not just Cesar who had the three poor throws and then an error the next inning after that, but Vargas also had an error at third base. Now, he's been great at third. That hasn't been an issue. But in that one game, he did. So might as well shake it up and go the other way with it and didn't really have a role to play in this game. I don't think it made a difference necessarily where they were, but I definitely thought that was um, interesting and the timing of it was very interesting that that would happen, that he'd flip-flop them one day after they struggled so much. What did you think about the Major League debut of Israel Pineda as an Nats starting catcher? Remember the Nats on Friday brought up Pineda with Kbert Ruiz now out with his uh, testicular contusion here. Uh, Pineda his contract was selected from AAA Rochester on Friday. Uh, this is a guy, age 22 season. This season is played at three levels of the Nats minor league system, high A Wilmington, double A Harrisburg, triple A Rochester. He on Sunday as a starting catcher, 0 for 3 with a walk and three strikeouts. And I would think that it wasn't a coincidence that his first game is a game that is started by a veteran like Anibal Sanchez. Right. So the intention there was to give him the starting pitcher who would be most in control of the game plan. And he and Anibal had met the day before and they had plenty of time to meet before this one to go over that plan. And so even though Pineda officially be the one giving the signs, I think it would be safe to say that Anibal Sanchez would be calling his own game. But I think that was intentional to do that. Now, as it turns out, he only goes two innings. You have the rain delay and now Pineda's got to catch a wave of relievers. So Nothing really stood out to me other than the fact that he didn't put a ball in play, three strikeouts and a walk. He hustled on the bases, took an extra base on a wild pitch. He scored his first run, so good for him for that. We know the guy can hit, at least based on the minor league numbers, he hits for some power. But we also got to remember, he spent most of this season at single A. 
So to expect a lot from him at this level already is probably more than you want to ask for. I'll be curious how much he plays the rest of the way. He's clearly going to get some starts, but I would think that Riley Adams is probably the number one. And we still really aren't seeing Tres Barrera very much, which is odd to me that Pineda would get a start before Barrera does. I'm not entirely sure what's going on there. I'll be interested to look at the final tally over these last three weeks and see how it ranks in terms of catching starts. I would think Barrera will make more starts than Pineda, but we'll see. Maybe he won't. Yeah, I don't think Barrera has played once since he got brought back up on September 1st. No, including the game that Ruiz had to leave. It was Adams who came in to replace him. So there have been opportunities where Barrera could have come in. And even the night before, Adams started a game, they pinch ran for him, and Ruiz came in to finish the game. So they have this third catcher, and they have literally not used him yet. Are we sure Barrera's not hurt? I mean, this is pretty strange. He's just occupying a spot on the roster and not doing anything. I don't believe he's hurt. I think this falls in the category of you never want to burn your third catcher until it's an absolute emergency. (laughs) Well, they haven't reached that emergency yet. No, they haven't. One more item from this game, for those of you keeping track, Nelson Cruz was the Nats starting DH and number four batter on Sunday. He went 0 for 5 with three strikeouts and left five men on base. So sleep easy knowing that uh, this continues to be the case, that he's a cleanup batter game in and game out. We had Mackenzie Gore making a rehab start for AAA Rochester on Sunday, and the outing did not last for as long as we had anticipated. One and two-thirds innings. The goal was three innings. Is that reason for concern or not necessarily? So it sounds like it's not reason for concern in terms of like there was any kind of physical ailment or he had to cut himself off short. I think he just was a little out of whack in terms of his pitching and threw a lot of pitches, a lot of deep counts, I was told. He was up to 36 pitches after one and two thirds. So they weren't going to push him beyond that. They were also dealing with bad weather in Syracuse. I don't think that it impacted anything necessarily, but you you put that all together and I think this was a first one. They're going to be extra cautious. I'm sure he felt rusty pitching in a real game for the first time in a long time. And so they just said, let's pull the plug after one and two thirds. But You know, it is a reminder that even when you're healthy, there is still a process of building your arm back up and just getting sharp again as a pitcher. And he he doesn't have a lot of time to do that before he comes back. So, you know, he's still going to go make another one after this. He'll ramp up beyond that. But pretty clearly, he's going to need at least three of these rehab starts before he's anywhere close to big league ready. And who knows, maybe after three, he's still not there yet. They'll have to make that decision based on how he feels, but also how he actually performs at some point. Yeah, the way this season has gone for the Nats, I don't think anyone would be stunned if we do not end up seeing Mackenzie Gore pitch at the major league level. We all want to see it. I'm certainly hoping to see it. But the way things have gone this year for, you know, Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross and Cade Cavalli and a host of others, it's like, is anyone really going to be stunned if there's a bump here, a hiccup here, and Gore just doesn't end up making this, you know, anticipated start, which again is literally probably going to be a start and that's it. Right. As they've said all along, they want him to proceed as though he's going to have time to return. But if it gets to a point that it's not going to happen, then they won't force the issue. So he's got probably two more rehab starts and then they'll make a call on that if they want to bring him back or if they say, yeah, we've had enough. Let's go into the offseason. You're healthy and you know, look for good things in 2023. All right. Next up for the Nats is an off day on Monday and then an off day on Thursday. And sandwiched between the two off days is a two-game series against the Orioles. The Nats in this series are going to be going with uh, Corey Abbott 
on Tuesday and Patrick Corbin on Wednesday, which helps to explain why we did see Paolo Espino in this game on Sunday. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at NatsChatPodcast. Can I give one shout out before we leave to a couple of our fans? They were here in Philadelphia today. That's Melissa Cohen and Claire Bernstein. They waited out part of the rain delay. They didn't make it all the way through it because they had to get home. But thanks to them, they were in their Nats chat gear, loyal listeners and fans, and we appreciate that. Very much so. And you can get yourself a Nats chat podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats chat podcast. Stands with an open stance on the right-hand side. 1-1. Swing and a broken bat grounder to third. Fielded by Alou. The throw to first is in time. The bat ended up in left field. That traveled farther than the ball did. So it ends up being a three-batter inning from Mackenzie Gore. And we go to the second scoreless.